This is Taylor from Huntington Beach, California, and you're listening to I Doubt It with Dollamore. Wait, really? That's what you call this? Anyways, whatever. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, everybody. Welcome to the show this May 10th, 2015, episode 122 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me, eager to go, Brittany Page. Yep, here I am. Quick and to the point. Mm-hmm. What I had do you to think? finish up my yawn real quick. It, re- it was a quick yawn, or you had to finish it real quick? I had to finish it real quick. Was it one of those that lingered? Was loud? No. No. You can control the uh, loudness of your yawn. I believe the term is volume. One time, <laughs> I got thrown out of class for yawning too loud. It can be obnoxious. Yes, it happened in middle school. I think that the yawning loudly and sneezing loudly are two things that can be controlled. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of loud sneezers. Yeah. Um, I sometimes sneeze too loud for your liking. Sometimes? Yes. If you were in a fighting position or an observation post in combat, you'd be dead. Because okay. you would give away your position straight away. No, I most often sneeze silently. So You most often do? Yes. I think you're out of your fucking mind. Okay. Because you sneeze like you're being knifed in the back. <laughs> you often wail in pain while sneezing. Um, that does happen, yes. <laughs> Sometimes I'm worried I've knocked something loose. All right. Well, that wasn't planned. So, listen, tell me about your final week. In grad school for your first year here. Yeah, so I am finishing up my my first year. Um, I'll be done on Thursday. My last final is Thursday, so yeah. I'm really excited. Um, but part of what I've been doing for one of my final projects is uh, independent graduate research with a professor. And I had to do some data analysis and write up that data analysis. And as I was doing the the cleaning of the data... Well, didn't you kind of encountered the same thing this time that you did last time when you when you with your research that you presented to SPSS? Right. Well, as, so as I was going through cleaning the data, which is just kind of you know any duplicate responses, any missing data points that is going to affect the the data set, you kind of clean up those issues. And then you also go through and make sure certain fill-in-the-blank responses that were in the survey. For instance, in this one, it was, what is your religious affiliation? <laughs> and then people typed in what their religious affiliation was. Right, which you would expect Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist... Very straightforward answers. Right. Well, you would think that, but that doesn't happen. And so you often have to go through and read these responses and make sure they're typed in a way that you're going to be able to do something with them. Well, what kind of anomalies or um, oddities did you run across? Okay. One that was pretty prominent was sort of Catholic. (laughs) You say that's prominent? 
Yeah. Like that occurred more than one time. Yes. Sort of Catholic. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I don't need to know what you sort of are. I need to know what your religious affiliation is. So just choose something <laughs> and let me know. Is it Catholic? Right. Or is it none? Right. What does sort of Catholic mean? Very funny. Okay, then I got somewhat Buddhist, parenthetically, not practiced regularly. All in just one little box that they're supposed to say what they are. Yes. Yeah. What would you attribute this to? Do you think this is um, them trying to be unique, special snowflakes that, oh, you can't put me in a box. I'm too unique and special. What do you think it is? I don't know, but we need to be able to put them in a box. Because if we're we're doing some sort of analysis where we're seeing how groups are different based on you know, their ratings of right and wrong in these moral scenarios and their religious affiliation, then I need to be able to just have people that are Christian, Catholic, Buddhist. I don't know what to do with someone that says they're somewhat Buddhist and not practice regularly. (laughs) Or I had another person, I had another person that said orthodox. Orthodox what? I know, orthodox what? I had another person say Christ follower. Is that a Christian? Is that a Catholic? I mean, many... Christ follower. Right. Oh, my God. That person is a fucking idiot. Well, so it's... When you're filling out a survey, just this will be helpful to people. When you're filling out a survey for research... Don't be a fucking idiot. Just try to answer in a way that that makes things easy on the people that are dealing with the data set. You would think that they would understand if you were asking for that particular item of information about them that it's going to play a role in in the research. So sort of Catholic isn't really going to be useful for the people gathering said data, right? Shouldn't that be obvious? Well, I no, apparently it isn't. Apparently not. And I mean, it's okay. It's not a big deal. It's Some people just need to be told, I guess. But, you know, also there are times where I think sometimes people, when they're taking surveys, they just don't really care to do it. And this happens with students that are getting credit for taking the survey. They just kind of go through and answer it at random. Just don't do it, okay? Just don't get the credit. If you're not going to put in the time to do it, just don't take it because these are actual analyses that are looking at different things that are kind of important. So if if you're not willing to put in the time to really give an answer, just don't take it. The other thing I think would be that a lot of people overlook is that there's someone on the other end. There's always a Brittany page on the other end compiling the data. It's not just fed into some fucking supercomputer. There's a human being on the other end who is sifting through the numbers and the responses and analyzing it by hand or by the assistance of some kind of a computer analytics program. Right. And it's a bummer because we actually had to throw out like 50 cases from people going into the survey repeatedly and taking it several times. And, you know, so we lost 50 participants because people were going in multiple times and taking it, thinking that their response didn't register or whatever. (laughs) And so we lost 50 people. Wow. And that's, you know, that's a significant chunk. People are dumb. Well, I mean, I don't know. The views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollarmore are solely those of Jesse Dollarmore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis.
Well, before we get on with the show, let me say this. Um, we have had um, what I would say is a robust response to our requests for ratings and reviews on iTunes. And I really want to thank the audience for that. We've received several reviews. And I would, I would again, put, out, put a call out to the audience one, one more time that if you are listening to the show right now, and you consider yourself a listener, a regular listener, or a fan by any stretch, then go and review the show. I'm not talking to the other listeners. I'm talking to you if you have not yet reviewed. Well, and we've had a few people say that they reviewed and then their review didn't show up within 24 hours. And that could be because you cannot use profanity in your review. That is right. So, I have found that to be... Uh, a weird thing of iTunes. They don't want a bunch of F-bombs in their, <laughs> in their reviews. Right. So if you did review and you haven't seen your review officially pop up and maybe you think you cursed in your review, <laughs> just go back and try it again minus the delightful curse words. Delightful. We appreciate them. Yes. Don't blame us. No. It's iTunes. It is. It's Apple. The Evil yes. Corporation. Yes. <laughs> well. All right. Before we get started, 657-464-7609. That is our number. And if you'd like to sound off, that is where you do that. Leave a fewer than three-minute voicemail. You can also send us a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. In, in the spirit of dropping the email address, we received... An email from regular communicator to the show, Alexander from Denmark. Yes. He says, hey, Jesse and Brittany, I heard you wanted to hear about marriage in Scandinavia. And as you know, I'm more than happy to write into you guys from the cousin fucking state of California. <laughs> I only cuss when people write in. That's right. Words. It's okay. a quote. It's mm -hmm. a quote. Once again, Jesse was right. What? It's the second time I have written that sentence in an email to you, and it feels quite strange. It feels quite strange on my ears, Alexander. I'm not used to that sort of sort of um, bolstering of my ego and my intellect, or, or, or just the fact that I was correct. <laughs> so Jesse was right when he said that cousin marriage is legal in Scandinavia, but we aren't as liberal when it comes to the age limit on marriage. You have to be 18 in all Scandinavia, in all of Scandinavia to get a marriage license, although there are different kinds of exceptions in the Scandinavian countries. For example, in Denmark, it is possible for marriage to occur with a 15-year-old if you get handwritten permission by the king or queen. Wait, wait, wait. Handwritten permission. Yeah, so you have to have a hookup from the king or queen. <laughs> well, there's two things I want to address. One would be the handwritten part. Like, it can't be, like, typewriter or... Or a computer. Or word process. Well, I'm sure it's from olden times. <laughs> This decree is from olden times where it's handwritten. Uh -huh. But then in olden times, what other means did they have except for handwritten? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, really, Denmark, you're so advanced and awesome and you still have a fucking king and queen. Come on. Come on. Okay. So Alexander says the uh, handwritten permission by the king or queen doesn't happen anymore. And then he signs off with Alexander, but do not think that it ends here because he says, P.S. Brittany, here you go. And he attached a delicious photo of pastries. Oh, right. And they look fantastic. I think 
in our last round of talk about Scandinavia and Northern Europe, where we we maybe solicited for uh, an explanation from Alexander, you had mentioned something about wanting to know about their baked goods. Yes. Well, <laughs> I'm very interested in baked goods. I enjoy partaking in baked goods and yeah. looking at baked goods, smelling baked goods. I'm a baked good connoisseur. Yeah, you spend an inordinate amount of time of your day fixated on baked goods. Yes. Yes, I do. Like too much time. No, An no. unhealthy still... amount of time you spend, <laughs> you would probably be doing far better in grad school. How I don't, dare I don't know how you? that's possible. How I don't know how you? that's possible. But seriously, you would be heads and shoulders above your peers more than you are now if it weren't for the fact that you fixate compulsively on baked goods. Okay. I'm just going to ignore everything you said since it's dumb. And... um. <laughs> So in this photo, though, which I guess I'll go ahead and post to the Facebook page so were, everyone else can see, too. Were there Danishes? Yes, there were. There's not cheese ones, though, which is what? the best kind. These, of course it's the best kind. These cinnamon rolls here that are in this picture, they look like the ones from Ikea. You know, I think in well, America... That's, that's Sweden. That's a different country. But okay. I'm sure that they I'm share... I'm sure they look like the ones from yeah, yeah. Ikea. I'm not shitting on you. Calm down over I'm saying... There. Okay, and I'm trying to finish my thought here. So in America, <laughs> whenever you see cinnamon rolls, like when I go to Albertsons, the cinnamon rolls are covered in frosting. Oh, yeah. But these ones in this photo and the ones from Ikea have a very light drizzle of icing. Ones I might like. Okay. What, what was the snarky response? I don't know. I don't like things that are completely slathered and just enveloped in an icy frosting. Mm -hmm. That's your game. That's not mine. Yeah, I like my cinnamon roll with a side of cinnamon roll and mostly frosting. <laughs> well, anyway, thanks again. As always, Alexander, we appreciate your participation. And I never even have to... Like, shoot an email and say, hey, by the way, uh, we mentioned you on the show. <laughs> He's always got an email at the ready, so we appreciate it very much. Before we move on, I want to get some follow-up out of the way. And it has to do with the little town of Cochrane, Georgia. We talked a few episodes back about how, against advice from council, they decided they were going to continue to fly the Christian flag above City Hall. Well, apparently... That has changed. Americans United for Separation of Church and State was quick to send letters to both the council members and the county attorney warning them of the legal consequences if they kept this flag up. Quote, when government buildings fly a Christian flag, especially with the intention of promoting Bible reading, it sends a crystal clear message that one religion is favored above all others, said Barry Lynn, executive director of Americans United. This is among the most blatant violations of the Constitution that I have seen. That did the trick. This week, a statement went up on the city's website saying that the flag would be coming down. After reviewing further input from the community, detailed written legal opinions from our city attorney, and a second legal opinion from a constitutional lawyer, impact on the city fiscal resources, and the environment in which the original decision to exclusively fly the Christian flag was made, the city council voted 4-1 to one at a special called meeting on April 28th, 2015, to rescind the motion to exclusively fly the Christian flag 24-7 from the flagpole at City Hall and remove the flag effective May 8th. 
Shocker. I mean, it shouldn't be a shocker. And I'm actually not shocked that they took it down. It, they're going to have to be forced to just based on the fact that it is so clearly a blatant violation of the Constitution. It, so glad that they came around and that the threat of legal action made them do so. Well, they had to review a lot of stuff to get them to, <laughs> to sway in that direction. That was a lot of stuff to read. Yeah. Well, that's what you do. Yeah, that's true. While dreaming about Danishes. So I guess uh, happy Mother's Day, everybody. Brother, do you think they'll drop the bomb? Hey, mama, this that shit's that make you cool, mama. Get on the floor and move your booty, mama. And even as a crack fiend, mama, you always was the black queen, mama. Brother, do you think they'll like the song? Mama, I'm coming home. Do you think they'll try to break my balls? Mama should I build the wall? Mama tried, mama tried, mama tried to raise me better, but her pleading I denied. That leaves only me to blame, cause mama tried. Mother should I run for president? Your mama don't dance and your daddy don't rock and roll Mama Mother should I trust the government Hugging on my mama from a jail cell I'm a mother lover, you're a mother lover We should fuck each other's mothers Fuck each other's moms Happy Mother's Day So those of you who have listened to the show for longer than a year will recognize that from last year. However, I wanted to play it again <laughs> because I put it together last year and we probably had a, about 20, 20 listeners <laughs> when I did. So for those of you who have listened to the show for that long, thank you and I'm sorry for putting you through that one minute and 18 seconds of torture. <laughs> but uh, I also wanted to reflect upon Mother's Day once again. And even though I don't have, well, I was going to say I don't have the greatest relationship with my mother, meaning I don't have a relationship with my mother, which may or may not have something to do with my not believing in any gods. Um, well, I, that should be clarified. Well, how so? Well, someone who doesn't understand what that means is not going to understand what that means. <laughs> well, that I'm an atheist. Yeah, so you you uh, dislike your mom, so that makes you not believe in God? Oh, no, 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 no. I said the reason I don't have a relationship with her may or may not have something to do with the fact that I'm an atheist. But I don't want to take away from other people's, you know, deep, natural, and normal attachment to their mothers. So I'd like to, you know, say Happy Mother's Day to all the listeners out there who are mothers. Um... I always feel weird when people are not mothers yet, but want Mother's Day wishes. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. But listen, if you're a mother, if you're a grandmother, uh, happy Mother's Day. Thanks for doing what you do and raising healthy, well-adjusted, well-intended, kind, empathetic human beings. Because the world needs more of that. Yes. Happy Mother's Day. Well, in the spirit of Mother's Day, here's a story out of New Jersey that 
to be honest with you, it, I was shocked by this. I didn't know that this was biologically possible. And I guess it goes to show that um, even in my advanced age, I can learn something new every day. The woman found out that her twins had been fathered by two different men in a paternity case. The woman, identified only as TM, was applying for public assistance and named her romantic partner as the father of both children. In the course of testimony, she admitted to sleeping with a different man about a week after she believed she had conceived the twins with her partner. This prompted a paternity test, which revealed that each man had fathered one of the twins, which are now toddlers. The original partner, identified as A.S., will now only have to pay child support for one of the children. This kind of occurrence is rare, but not unheard of. A doctor testified that one in 13,000 paternity cases for twins involve two different fathers. One in 13,000 doesn't seem that rare to me. This That seems relatively common. Out yeah. of all the thousands and thousands of births, yeah, I guess it would be the thousands of twin births, which still is a lot. It's a large number nationwide. I, I was shocked by this. Were you not? Yeah, it's it's um, it's very strange. I didn't even know it was possible. I, I don't know. I guess that I thought there was like a a battle of sperm that would take place, and one would. I don't know. It's very strange to me. I guess it would have to be that she released two eggs, and then. The sperm is just intermingled and racing to get there. It's just color me surprised. What was most interesting to me about this is the internet comments and people were oh, I bet. people were commenting on it and saying this is not true. This is not something that can happen. Right. Um well, according to people that know about these things, apparently it can. Right. And scientists. And apparently it did. Well, so not only that, even if we believed it couldn't happen up to this point, and then a paternity test is done matching genetic comparison and DNA traits or whatever happens there. Clearly, I'm no scientist. But once they've done the DNA test and they've linked one child to a, one father and one child to a different father, it, it's a done deal. Then we know it, it, it can happen. Internet comments. Ugh. Again fucking idiots <laughs> so i guess in line with this um not completely related a school in texas has some problems a high school in texas shocked to learn they are in the middle of a chlamydia outbreak according to cbs 7 the school district sent out letters to parents last week saying that 20 of the school's 300 students have contracted the disease. The Crane Independent School District, quote, does not offer a curriculum in human sexuality, according to the student handbook. The school does offer a three-day course each fall semester, but they are legally required to emphasize abstinence instead of educating on sexual health and safety. According to News or Texas law mandates these courses to teach abstinence, and it has been revealed a district committee for Crane High School recommended Scott and White's Worth the Wait program three years ago. District Superintendent Jim Rummage telling News West 9, quote, if kids are not having any sexual activity, they can't get this disease. That's not a bad program. It seems to be a logical argument, but sexual health advocate groups say even teens need to be taught safe sex so when they do, and some inevitably will engage in sexual activities, they won't get diseases like chlamydia. The school says it will hold a meeting this week with school officials, parents, and teachers to discuss strategy and the school's current sex ed program. So what's interesting to me about that is the, the comments at the end there, where they say that it would logically follow 
They teach abstinence only because if a kid isn't having sex, they don't have to worry about STDs. Well, the latter is true. If a kid isn't having sex, they don't have to worry about it. But just because you teach abstinence only doesn't mean kids aren't going to be having sex. Well, obviously. It doesn't. It's, it's, it's a non sequitur. Just because you teach something doesn't mean that's going to be followed through with. As evidenced by this occurrence, that almost 20% of their student body has chlamydia. It, it's gross. <laughs> well, I just wonder, like, what the interaction between everyone has been. Like, are they throwing orgies? It's or, incestuous, like, right? Very weird. What's going on that so many people got it? Bleh. Or is it just one person that went on a spree? Listen, when I read about this story, and I don't, Brittany hates it when I say this, but I don't like to talk about how the sausage is made, especially in relation to a chlamydia story. <laughs> but w when we look for a story, we like to look up for several different sources just to test the veracity of the story and maybe get a better perspective and kind of test the waters, as it were. And when you type in the word chlamydia, into a Google search, automatically Google images come up. And let me tell you, I didn't know you could get like stuff around your mouth, Brittany Page. It's grody. Um, I mean, obviously, any kind of sexually transmitted disease isn't a, a pleasing or sought after situation. But goddamn, no good. Um... I'm going to have to disagree with you. I think it is good. Um, <laughs> I think it's a really great situation oh, to be in. Wow. And I think that it looks very attractive as well. Maybe I need you, your own disclaimer, because <laughs> I don't agree with that assessment. Okay, I'm obviously kidding. I just, I didn't have any other response. Like what, I'm just going to agree with you. What, what is even the point of well, saying that? I guess what I'm trying to, to initiate in the audience is a curiosity to look it up and see it's like the worst chap lips you've ever seen in your life. Okay. Chlamydia <laughs> all over the mug. Well, listen, I no also... No bueno, Brittany Page. After this story and then our next story is about chlamydia as well, um, <laughs> I Googled I Googled chlamydia Yeah, you did. Symptoms. And I did just... Did you see the chap lips picture? I did not. Ugh. I just wanted to read a little bit about it and... I joked to one of my friends that after I had Googled it, that Facebook was probably going to be showing me like chlamydia ads <laughs> right. because whenever you Google something, oh, yeah. Facebook starts showing you ads for whatever yes. you Googled or yes. whatever like clothing item you looked at, whatever purse you looked at. It starts bombarding you with these searches you've already made early on. And this was probably pre podcast double P Brittany page, but the, you know, there was a time where I was making YouTube videos and like I am now very outspoken, very vocal about gay marriage and gay rights. And apparently at some time, Facebook and we're going a little far afield here, but Facebook decided that I was a candidate or someone who would be interested in taking a gay cruise. Nice. And it, it, those ads would show up in my Facebook feed all the time. And. I guess I never had enough interest, or maybe it was too expensive. I didn't want to go on the gay cruise, but I didn't end up going, for your information. Oh, shocker. Brittany, yeah, I, I stayed away. I thought that was something you'd totally be, be down with. <laughs> so relative to this story in Texas, there's another chlamydia outbreak on the loose in Utah, 
and it has to do with everybody's favorite dating app, Tinder. Yes, apps like Tinder Down, haven't heard of it, and Grinder could be partly responsible for gonorrhea rates in Utah. Oh, I thought it was chlamydia too. Anyway, it's fine. Just another horrible, terrible, gross <laughs> affliction of the ween, peen, butthole, and vag. Go ahead. Apps like Tinder, Down, and Grinder could be partly responsible for gonorrhea rates in Utah being up in women more than 700%. Wow. The Utah State Health Department is now scrambling to figure out why there's a link to Utahans. Utahans? Utahans. Utahans. Like, like Idahoans. Yeah. Utahans. Hooking up via <laughs> these apps and bringing infections home to their spouses and partners. Mm. Tasty treat. Lynn Beltran, an epidemiologist at the Salt Lake County STD Clinic, says you don't have to look too hard to see the problem. A decade ago, she says, dating and hooking up were far different. You had to go to a bar to meet someone. There's a dance you had to do. But that dance is dead with the advent of dating apps. Now, if you have a smartphone, you can hook up anywhere, anytime. Beltran notes that the change has been huge for people who are married. Before, if you were interested in sexual activity outside of marriage, there was a fear factor. If you went somewhere you'd never seen, she says. Now you click a few buttons and meet at a hotel. Yikes. Yeah, yikes. Gross. The other thing that I find interesting about this is that it's two relatively puritanical states that are having this issue. One which imposes mandatory abstinence-only education relative to sex, and then one which obviously has a large, robust Mormon population, which extols the virtues of clean living. Right, and this woman goes on to say that the reality of STDs is a tough sell. Everyone thinks it won't happen to them, but what she wants people to know is that the risk is in the city, in the suburban neighborhoods, and in rural Utah. It's single people, married people, and everyone in between. In a state that doesn't like to talk about sex, there seems to be a whole lot of it going on without much forethought of protection. Hudson believes that could be due to a choice, saying, if you put a condom on and go to that length, you are admitting you were actively cheating on your spouse or your partner. If you don't put on the condom, it can be seen as a mistake or lived in a bit of denial, which doesn't make sense to me. But she adds that these people who are stepping out are putting their spouses at risk. If a man, for example, brings home chlamydia to his wife, she won't necessarily see the symptoms and left untreated. It can cause infertility, which is a big deal in Utah. I mean, that's that's big time amongst that religion you know being fruitful and multiplying is a big deal in the mormon community in the mormon faith right this is why she has the ugly job of calling to notifying unsuspecting spouses and partners of positive std tests that she says is the most challenging part of her job quote i have had to make calls to spouses of people exposed to hiv is that legal i guess it is if she's doing it i think there's some states where that's not legal you can't alert um, potential partners because of the HIPAA or whatever, the, the patient's bill of rights, you know, mm-hmm. which I think is ludicrous. I think her job alerting and making phone calls to people who may be at risk is um, a good thing. So, well, maybe the spouses are like paying her to do it because <laughs> they're too afraid. Yeah. Like, can you just like make an anonymous phone call and leave it on the voicemail or. <laughs> I think that would be worse 
some stranger telling the bits. Probably, but yeah. they don't have to be there when it goes down. Yikes. Dollamocracy 2016. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So Jeb Bush gave a speech at Liberty University this last week. I guess it was a graduation speech. And he had some interesting things to say. Of course, he's before the Liberty University staff, faculty, students, parents, everybody who sends their kids and pays money to, to go to Liberty University. A you know, fundamentalist Christian type of uh, experience. And he had this to say relative to how his faith will lead him and what role it will play in his presidency or his potential presidency. It can be a touchy subject, and I'm asked sometimes whether I would ever allow my decisions in government to be influenced by my Christian faith. Whenever I hear this, I know what they want me to say. The simple and safe reply is no, never, of course not. If the game is political correctness, that's the answer that moves you to the next round. The end point is a certain kind of politician we've all heard before. The guy whose moral convictions are so private, so deeply personal, that he even refuses to impose them on himself. This, the mistake is to confuse the mistake is to confuse points of theology with moral principles that are knowable to reason as well as by faith. And this confusion is all part of a false narrative that casts religious Americans as intolerant scolds, running around trying to impose their views on everyone. The stories vary year after year, but the storyline is getting familiar. The progressive political agenda is ready for its great, next great leap forward, and religious people or churches are getting in the way. Our friends on the left like to view themselves as the agents of change and reform, and you and I are supposed to just get with the program. There are consequences when you don't genuflect to the latest secular dogmas, and those dogmas can be hard to keep up with. So we find officials in a major city demanding that pastors turn over copies of their sermons, or federal judges mistaking themselves for elected legislators and imposing restrictions and rights that do not exist in the Constitution, or an agency dictating to a Catholic charity, the Little Sisters of the Poor, what has to go in their health plan, and never mind objections of conscience. I don't know about you, but I'm betting that when it comes to doing the right and good thing, the little sisters of the poor know better than the regulators at the Department of Health and Human Services. From the standpoint of religious freedom, you might even say it's a choice between the little sisters and big brother. And I'm going with the little sisters. That case continues, and as usual, the present administration is supporting the use of coercive federal power. What should be easy calls in favor of religious freedom have instead become an aggressive stance against it. Somebody here is being small-minded and intolerant, and it sure isn't the nuns, ministers, and laymen and women who ask only to live and practice their faith. Is me or is he a terrible public speaker? Yeah, it's kind of shocking. It's very shocking to me because his brother, George W. Bush, 
you know, say what you will about George Bush, not like him or whatever. He was a good speaker. He was affable and funny and folksy, maybe. Mm -hmm. But he didn't seem like he was reading something off of a piece of paper and reading it poorly. I mean, goddamn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other thing is, really, Jeb Bush, you're not running around and trying to impose your views on other people. Right. Is he really asserting that oh, they would have you believe that Christians are just running around trying to impose their beliefs on others? You're not, really? You're not allowing or you're fighting tooth and nail to not allow gays to marry one another? People who were born gay to marry one another as consenting adults in a relationship. You're not allowing that because scriptures from thousands of years ago written by men who were barely out of fucking caves because of that you're not allowing so right. he's doing exactly should, what he's saying i think you should use the word preventing because not allowing just doesn't seem strong enough they're trying to prevent people from doing something yes so no, you're right exactly it's, it's going a little further it's they are trying to get in the way they're trying to disturb the process they're trying to prevent it from happening right the same arguments were made during the civil rights movement to to not allow blacks to marry whites to not allow blacks to integrate into white schools similar scriptures written by these same fresh out of the cave bronze age and barely not even stone age individuals the same scriptures were used. Right. And who who wasn't on board with interracial marriages? Was that the Democrats or the Republicans? Both. Both. Al Gore's dad was a senator from Tennessee, and he was uh, very much opposed to the Civil Rights Act. It was early on. Well, let's put it this way. It was the Southern Democrats who were dragged into the 20th century kicking and screaming. So... Clearly also Republicans, but it was both parties. The other thing is, is his fondness for the little sisters of the poor, that they know more than the folks over at Health and Human Services. Well, they may know more about certain things, mythology, archaic beliefs, but I doubt they know more about certain things relative to birth control. Because most, most Catholic organizations that I know of believe that birth control is abortion i there are there are catholics i know who believe that there are tiny little aborted fetuses in a lady's uterus who uses birth control it's completely fucking ludicrous and to put so much faith into this group of zealots like the little sisters of the poor is asinine so i was trying to find um, data trends on Democrats versus Republicans on interracial marriage. Mm -hmm. And I can't find it this quickly with uh, just trying to find it while you're talking. But I did find a Gallup poll. They've asked this question from uh, 1959 to 2013. Do you approve or disapprove of marriage between blacks and whites? Mm -hmm. And it was at 64% in 2004. What was so you're saying the break approval, that down. the approval rating? 
only 64% in 2004? No, no, no. It was at 64% in 1998. And then it moved to 65% by 2004. Wow. That is shockingly low. Yeah. That is, and that's for Democrats or Republicans? This is everybody americans holy shit and it's at 87 percent as of 2013 so (laughs) how far back does it go to 59 1959 what was it in 1959 four percent wow Mm -hmm. yeah so like i mean i don't know i'm just speaking extemporaneously but the way i i know it because i know certain senators who were stalwart democrats they were very against integration and everything else. So, and the wording has changed. So, in nineteen fifty, 1950, in nineteen fifty eight, I guess that was the first year that it happened. It's, sure. it's right near the fifty nine line, so it's kind of hard to tell. That's when it was four percent approval. It said marriages between whites and colored people, and then the language changed from nineteen sixty eight to nineteen seventy eight, saying marriages between whites and non whites. Right. And after that, they started asking. Uh, marriage between blacks and whites so goddamn but it's just crazy i mean in 1995 it was 48 percent. yeah people are backward <laughs> assholes so so anyway we kind of we went off the rails there for a second Sorry. but no 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 it's good so i want to juxtapose this speaking of catholics speaking of little sisters of the poor i want to juxtapose this against the viewpoint that i think most politicians whether they're religious or not should take and this was jfk John Fitzgerald Kennedy speaking when asked the question about his Catholicism, his particular flavor of mythology, and how it would, what role it would play in his potential presidency. So it is apparently necessary for me to state once again, not what kind of church I believe in, for that should be important only to me, but what kind of America I believe in. I believe in an America where the separation of church and state is absolute, where no Catholic prelate would tell the president, should he be Catholic, how to act, and no Protestant minister would tell his parishioners for whom to vote, where no church or church school is granted any public funds or political preference, and where no man is denied public office merely because his religion differs from the president who might appoint him or the people who might elect him. I believe in an America that is officially neither Catholic, Protestant, nor Jewish, where no public official either requests or accepts instructions on public policy from the Pope, the National Council of Churches, or any other ecclesiastical source, where no religious body seeks to impose its will, directly or indirectly, upon the general populace, or the public acts of its officials, and where religious liberty is so indivisible that an act against one church is treated as an act against all. For while this year it may be a Catholic against whom the finger of suspicion is pointed, in other years it has been, and may someday be again, a Jew, or a Quaker, or a Unitarian, or a Baptist. It was Virginia's harassment of Baptist preachers, for example, that led to Jefferson's statute of religious freedom. Today I may be the victim, but tomorrow it may be you, until the whole fabric of our harmonious society is ripped apart 
at a time of great national peril. Boring. <laughs> what a snoozer that was, huh? Listen, I, that is where we should be. It's odd to me that in the 1960 election, this probably was in you know early 1960 leading up to November, that he had the answer. It doesn't fucking matter what my religion is. It's it's not going to have any effect on what I do or what I th- what I think or how I pre- how I lead the country, because we are a country that doesn't have an official religion. If I rule as a Christian, I'm doing a disservice to the Jews and the Muslims and the Sikhs and the Hindus and the Buddhists and the fucking whatever, the atheists, the non-believers. I'm doing a disservice to them if I rule, if I lead, if I govern as a Christian. That's not what I signed up for, people. I, I don't believe in gods. I shouldn't be governed as though I am a Christian. Well, and he he made a good point, too, about the different religions that the different religious affiliations that presidents have been and Mm -hmm. will continue to be in the future. Right. And just because someone of a certain flavor is in that role doesn't mean that anything should change in terms of what's accepted or what's not accepted because of their certain religious beliefs. That's right. And their role in the government. Right. Yeah. It's very wise. I mean, look, for, for all his flaws... JFK did uh, did yeoman's work in certain aspects of his governance. And if you're wondering, wait a minute, who are these Quakers that were presidents? Nixon. And uh, Hoover. Oh, was Hoover a Quaker? Yes. Yeah. But yeah, Richard Nixon was a goddamn Quaker. That's bizarre to me. It, it, that always freaks me out when I think about it. Because that's a weird, they don't believe in music. They're very puritanical, very buttoned up. And we've had four Unitarian presidents. Watered down bullshit. Taft, Fillmore, Quincy Adams, and Adams. John Quincy Adams. That's his son. That's John Adams' son. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. You said Quincy Adams. Well, I was just saying their last names, and I wanted to distinguish between the two. But I guess... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I was just... Yeah. Doing a little horn tooting. Apparently. You know, what's interesting is this breaks down like Episcopalian, Presbyterian, this this chart I'm looking at, Methodist, Baptist, and then it separates Christian and it, it lists three presidents that have been Christian. I don't know what that would be. Yeah, I don't understand the huh. the differentiation there. It's a little confusing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'd have to look at but it. But Obama's there. So maybe they like made a different Christian category for Obama, like suspected. Well, maybe he's not a member of any particular... Um denomination oh he's just a christ follower (laughs) maybe he took my survey right maybe he did doubtful but maybe so before we move on from dollamocracy to another somewhat related item uh to religion um factcheck.org and we are going to be relying heavily upon them in the future moving forward in the presidential campaign quit making funny faces Brittany. (laughs) you're making me freaked out (laughs) And they did some uh, analysis. You hear that? Analysis, everybody. They did some analysis of different presidential candidates and their claims or their remarks. And some of them have said some pretty hmm, stupid things. Yeah. So this is one of my favorite ones. Um, 
This is Senator Rand Paul. Oh, yeah. And he was being interviewed on Fox News by Greta Van Susteren. Fox News. Greta Van Susteren. Yes. And, you know, he's formally announced his presidential candidacy. So this is someone that's in the running, everybody. And he was discussing the attack in Garland, Texas. And he said that this was an example of how we need to secure our border. (laughs) Now, obviously... One of these gentlemen, I I know for sure, was an American citizen. They were both from uh, Phoenix. Right. They had both been radicalized in their hometown of Phoenix, Arizona. So they were both American citizens or was one an immigrant? They were both Americans. So Paul said, absolutely, it's terrorism. I think it's an example of how we do need to secure our border. I'm not sure where they came from, but we do need to secure our southern border. Van Susteren says, they're Americans. <laughs> Rand Paul says, we still need to secure our southern border. Yeah, well, here, I'm so sick of buying my guns. We still got to secure it. The other thing I would say, though, is we also need to secure who visits us in this country. And apparently one of them had already been investigated over time. Maybe those who have been investigated need to be followed up a little more closely. So he's just grasping at straws. You can just see how he's like, oh, I don't know what I'm yeah, talking well, about. This is bad. Not just that, but even after she says, yeah, well, they're Americans. Well, we also need to monitor who's visiting the country. (laughs) Hey, Dick, did you hear what I said? They're Americans. (laughs) They're not visiting. They fucking live here. Yeah. (laughs) They're from Phoenix. They're Phoenicians. They're from the... (laughs) (laughs) They're from the far-off land from Phoenicia. Yeah. That's that's a Louis C.K. joke, everybody. I don't want to yeah, take credit for that. Well, I, I guess I, I shouldn't assume everyone knows. No, I, and I definitely don't want to take credit for it. So, People from Phoenix are Phoenicians. <laughs> okay. Uh. Um, so that was one. So this is, this is just a good example. In fact, Check.org is usually pretty good about this stuff because... All of these presidential candidates are spouting off at the mouth, right? Um, saying things that aren't true, just constantly. Well, it's a frenzy trying to get headlines, and oftentimes it's the bad attention that they seek. Right, and unfortunately, many people are already decided on who they like and who they want. That is shocking to me. When the reality is, we need to see a pattern of behavior over the next, what is it, year and some months. Yes. And that's really going to determine, well, is this person trustworthy? Is this person saying what they actually believe? Is this person lying and grasping at straws during interviews when they don't know what he didn't know what happened with this attack? I mean, that's what that means. He didn't know where these people were from. He's not watching the news. What is Rand Paul doing? It is. It shows to his organization, the campaign organization that he has on the ground, that he doesn't have a very proactive staff because when something like this happens, something major like this happens, look, no one died of any import. It doesn't matter that the two idiots died. I don't fucking care. So no regular, whether they're bigots or not, no civilians were killed in this. A cop was shot, but nothing major happened, I guess is what I'm getting at. But it's still a major event that two people, whether they were inspired by ISIS, at this point ISIS or ISIL has taken credit for the attack, like they had some contact. And the FBI is actually learning that one of these idiots, the guy with the white name, 
he did have contact with ISIS recruiters through Facebook and social media. So he very well may have been dispatched by the organization. This is a big deal, and it needs to be addressed. And if he wants to be taken seriously as a candidate, he needs to be in the know. He needs to have the intelligence, which I'm sure he has at his fingertips, or at least available to him as a United States senator. He needs to be not just winging it and going on Greta Van Susteren and trying to fucking talk about the southern border and then deferring to visiting the United States. Fucking clown. Not ready for prime time. Okay, so I also have some uh, discredited claims that Mike Huckabee has been <laughs> discussing. So Huckabee said 93 million Americans don't have jobs. According to factcheck.org, that's misleading. There are 93.8 million Americans who are not in the workforce, but only 6.1 million of them want a job, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. As factcheck.org has indicated in the past, the vast majority are students, stay-at-home parents, retired seniors, and others who do not want to work. In fact, 30 37.3 million of the 93.8 million, or 40%, are 65 years or older. Right. So th that is a misleading factoid. Right. Then. So he's trying to make it seem like we're in an urgent, terrible situation right. when the reality is not as bad as he's trying to paint it. So these are these are two examples of why we will be leaning heavily upon factcheck.org because they do good work and they also are very bipartisan. They're going to check no pun intended because it's fact check they're going to check each of these candidates when they get out of line and say something stupid or misleading in fact they also when it's somewhat truthful they'll say that too well while it's somewhat truthful we we take issue with uh the the nuance of their statement so this last week was the national day of prayer in the united states an annual oddity i don't know what <laughs> the purpose of it is but pew research just did a listing and they said the five facts about prayer so without further ado pew 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 pew, pew. may 7th is the national day of prayer on which presidents annually proclaim that, quote, the people of the united states may turn to god in prayer and meditation at churches and groups and as individuals He's letting us because we may do that. Oh, now you may do that. Yes. <laughs> the day has spawned a rival National Day of Reason on the same day, started by humanist groups and other opponents of the National Day of Prayer. All right. Fact number one. The National Day of Prayer was enacted in 1952 by the Congress and President Harry S. Truman. As with the addition of Under God to the Pledge of Allegiance in 1954. Right. Not a new thing. <laughs> the move came during the Cold War and was seen as a way of contrasting the more religious United States with the officially atheistic Soviet Union. Right. That's, you know, the Cold War was a big deal where we wanted to juxtapose ourselves against them and their policies. That's why so many people, when making arguments against atheism, act like that we are communists just because we don't believe in a god because the communist state was officially atheist. All right. Fact number two. The Freedom From Religion Foundation unsuccessfully challenged the National Day of Prayer in court. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in 2011 that the group, which aims to promote the separation of church and state, did not have legal standing to challenge the law. So, so what that means, that doesn't mean that it is constitutional, the National Day of Prayer. It's that they didn't have a dog in the fight, that they didn't have standing 
to bring the lawsuit. So they didn't really rule on the case at all, just that the Freedom From Religion Foundation didn't have standing. Number three. For many Americans, every day is a day of prayer. More than half, 55% of Americans, say that they pray every day, according to a 2013 Pew Research Center survey, while 23% said they pray weekly or monthly, and 21% said they seldom or never pray. Even among those who are religiously unaffiliated, 21% said they pray daily. What? Wait, wait, wait. What? Even those who are religiously unaffiliated, which typically means irreligious or atheist or agnostic that they also pray yeah it's a little strange it could also mean people that just don't subscribe to an organized religion but like, still have that sense of spirituality like people who are sort of catholic <laughs> <laughs> that would be correct women 65 percent are more likely than men 46 percent to pray every day and older people are more likely than younger adults to say that they pray daily yeah well they're they're closer to the grave so they're trying to Get in touch. Hedge you their know what bets. I mean. That's right. Any others? Number four. A 2010 USA Today slash Gallup poll asked Americans specifically about the National Day of Prayer. A majority, 57%, said they favored having a day of prayer, while just 5% said they opposed it. A significant share, 38%, said it didn't matter to them either way. I don't care about a National Day of Prayer. I don't care either. Because it's not a national day of Christian prayer. Let's pray to Jesus. Yeah, what does it it's matter? Better pray, meditate, do your thing. It doesn't it doesn't affect me. It doesn't. I it doesn't. I don't think set policy in the United States. Too many, and this is the problem I have with the Freedom from Religion Foundation is they often pick the wrong fucking battles. You know what I mean? They're just they don't seem to be very pragmatic or have their messaging down very well. All right. Number five. Last year, in the case of Town of Greece versus Galloway, the Supreme Court ruled that U.S. legislative and administrative bodies may begin their sessions with a prayer. On some occasions, however, the high court has rejected other types of state-sponsored prayer. For instance, in 1962's Engel versus Vital, the court famously struck down a policy requiring public school students to, be to begin their day with a non-sectarian prayer. Hmm. So these facts just got worse as they continued. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes Pew's just got to get something out there. You know, it's not always. <laughs> Even if it's not beneficial, they just have to put stuff out well, there. Well, could have. it could have been the the four facts about prayers. It didn't have to be five. <laughs> Why do they got to add the, the last stupid one? Yeah, I one? love how after I read it, we just kind of sit here like, uh, well, <laughs> yep, that's one of the facts. All right. Well. Moving on from prayer and religion and the jackassery of politics, I've got a message for you. Don't blame Facebook algorithms for your fucking echo chamber. A new study by three researchers affiliated with Facebook published in the prominent journal Science examined data from 10.1 million Facebook users to find out how frequently we're exposed to stories from people with political views different than our own. Yeah. Now, do you have any hypotheses, Jesse D? About what, specifically? About how the study went, about what they found. Um, I don't know exactly what they were reaching for, but I can tell you that I believe it, it is too common for people to exist within the, their own little microcosmic echo chamber and only hearing things that they believe in. I know a lot of people who delete people who disagree who unfriend people 
who disagree with them politically or on social issues. And I find that, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say dangerous, but I certainly find it problematic relative to, here's my deal. I don't believe that by deleting someone with whom you disagree, you're not just, oh, I don't want to see that anymore. You're also removing your opinion from their news feed. They no longer see your opinion. So the chances of them changing their minds and and the chances of them not being stupid anymore are lessened even more by the fact that you're removing your influence from their timeline. So what did the researchers find, though? <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. Okay. <laughs> Here's the key finding from the study. Facebook researchers conclusively showed that Facebook's newsfeed algorithm decreases ideologically diverse cross-cutting content people see from their social networks on Facebook by a measurable amount. The researchers report that exposure to diverse content is suppressed by Facebook's algorithm by 8% for self-identified liberals and by 5% for self-identified conservatives. The algorithm filters out 1 in 20 cross-cutting hard news stories that a self-identified conservative sees, or 5%, and 1 in 13 cross-cutting hard news stories that a self-identified liberal sees. This means you are seeing fewer news items that you disagree with, which are shared by your friends, because the algorithm is not showing them to you. The researchers also report a separate finding that individual choice to limit exposure through clicking behavior results in exposure to 6% less diverse content for liberals and 17% less diverse content for conservatives. So in addition to the algorithm, they also have a separate finding that this clicking behavior of individuals sure. also decreases the exposure that you have. So it's uh, the headline really should be don't solely blame the Facebook algorithm because the Facebook al algorithm clearly does have an effect 8 and and 5%. Right. But it's not only that, it's also the behavior of what you click and what you you know, your your just general behavior on Facebook that is also going to decrease it. Right. And the Facebook al algorithm might be taking cues from your clicking behavior. Sure. So that could also be something that's happening. But like you said, this is a problem because here's an example. I recently had a situation on Facebook where someone that I uh, disagree with every day when they post something <laughs> said something very terrible that I decided to comment on. Now, I, I rarely engage with people these days, mostly because I don't have time. Right, right. Um, but, but I still enjoy doing it just because I think it's important, especially when... When done civilly, it, it's a beautiful way to impart some small amount of change, possibly, into someone's... the way they think, their ethos. Right. And, and actually, that's true. When I commented on this thread, it didn't go very well and it ended up being deleted. But someone that had been following the thread that wasn't my friend private messaged me and said, thank you for for sharing what you did. I hadn't considered that viewpoint. It really made sense to me. Yeah, it's awesome. These really positive things. So even when you're engaging in these discussions and maybe it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere, there are also people that aren't liking your comments, aren't visibly in the discussion that are being impacted by what you're saying. Right, lurkers. 
Right, lurkers. That sounds kind of creepy, but it's true. Yeah, but it's great that they... there. I have also been messaged, because I don't want to be left out of the fun. Apparently not. (laughs) By, By an old high school friend who said, you know, she was... I appreciate the things that you say. You kind of helped my transition um, into more of a secular way of thinking that you can still be moral and have, you know, because there's so many people who believe that being an atheist means that you're a fucking Satanist, that you don't believe in anything, that you're immoral, that you don't, you don't have morals, you don't have a compass. And that's just ridiculous. You know, I haven't gone on a murder spree or a rape spree because of the fact that I don't believe in God or any gods anyway so it's important not just for the person with whom you're arguing or with whom you're discussing a topic it's also important and maybe more important for those who will see the conversation so so even though it's hard to and this is kind of what goes along with the cognitive dissonance that we always talk about and being in an echo chamber is comfortable when you see things every day that you agree with that don't make you feel uncomfortable that don't make you have to hold two conflicting ideas at one time. Right. But you need to have that in order to advance. You just you need to have that. For sure. And sometimes people that you disagree with are right. It's true. And you may be holding an idea that's wrong. And be open to change. So this is kind of related to Facebook, moving on here. Uh, You may have heard this or seen this on Facebook this last week. Action 7 News, live at 10. Beards are big in size and popularity, and now we're finding out some are also as dirty as a toilet. Thanks for sharing. Mm. It's the latest experiment by our swabbing anchor, Royal (laughs) Day. Tonight she shows us what else she found on random samples of men's facial hair. This story, oh my gosh, at the very least, oh, they're, wow. they're loaded, may give you a new appreciation for a clean shaven face. These are the things that cause urinary tract infections. A handful of brave men allowed us to swab their beards. We'll lean on in to see what, if anything, is growing in them. Here we go. What we found even blew the mind of this microbiologist. I'm usually not that surprised. I I was surprised by this. All of the beards had a lot of bacteria, but the normal stuff you'd find on most surfaces. Beards proving they trap and hold quite a bit. But some were comparable too. Yep. Those are the types of things that you'd find in... in Poop? Uh Uh-huh. Action 7 News has swabbed a lot of things over the years. This is uncharted territory. I've never seen a Petri dish with these colors before, and I've been doing a few of these. They're before. lovely, aren't they? It's because we've never had them until now. What um, are they? These are enterics. These are the kind of things that you find in, in feces. And then the- This is a collection of dirty. Globic says this bacteria won't make you sick. But it certainly shows a degree of uncleanliness that would be somewhat disturbing is just completely loaded with enterics. Golobic recommends a thorough beard scrubbing, lots of hand washing and... Try to keep your hands away from your face uh, as much as possible. Some sound advice, especially as the beard revolution seems to be at its peak. Golobic tells us... If the city was to find samples like this in the water system, they'd shut it down for disinfecting. Reporting in Albuquerque, I'm Royal Day, KOAT, Action 7 News. You're going to be okay? That just made me sick. (laughs) (sighs) So, this is... Wow, really? That's your... (laughs) 
coming out of it, just a big giant sigh. Well, this is just so dumb. Are you kidding me? Okay, so the first thing that happened in that news package is the newswoman saying, I've never seen these colors and I've done a few of these stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she's some kind of a fucking expert. I've never seen these colors. You don't know what any of it means. So why don't you just relax and you've done a few of these stories so you're an expert on microbiology all of a sudden? She also says... We even blew blew the mind of our microbiologist. And then the clip they play is him like, yeah, I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then so the advice they give you is to keep your hands off your face and wash your hands. Holy S. <laughs> right. OK, that's advice just for everybody all the time. Right. No matter what's going on, beard or not, female, male, whatever you are, wash your hands, keep your hands off your face. There's poop everywhere. Well, I was a little alarmed by this because I'm one of the bearded. And it's really more of a lazy thing for me than a style thing for me. Because shaving, when you have to shave every 15 minutes, otherwise you've got a beard, is you know, it takes a lot of energy, a lot of time. So I was alarmed by this. Oh my god, my 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 beard is covered in in poo particles. But apparently, it's not the case. Well, it is the case. It's just that Everything is covered in poo particles. Oh, right, right. So, and then also, so just starting off, this was not a study. This was a, a news program that swabbed a handful of men's beards on the street and then did this news segment. This right. wasn't an actual study, but um, Philip M. Torino, a microbiologist at New York State University, weighed in on this recent hysteria on the toilet beard, saying, quote, we as a society are literally bathed in feces. Wherever a man touches, there are feces and fecal organisms present. The show Mythbusters confirmed this idea a while back, where they reported after a controlled month-long study that toilets are essentially poo-filled aerosol sprays. Every time you flush, tainted water droplets make their way to every part of your bathroom and beyond. By the end of their study, they found that toothbrushes placed in the bathroom and in an office far away from it all contained microscopic fecal matter. Even in office, away from the bathroom, there was poop on stuff. Right. So they say guys can mitigate the spread of gut bacteria to their beards by making sure to wash their hands and not touch their face. Though this is a rule we should all follow to avoid the spread of disease. Right. It's not just beards exclusively. Well, it's just another uh, example of a local news channel attempting to start hysteria through their their doom and gloom reporting. Uh, uh. <laughs> right. And they did because this was being shared everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But the reality sure. is, like they say, you know, toilets, keep your toothbrushes away from your toilets. I mean, you got to keep them like outside or something, though, because it'll still get on it. Yeah, there's no poop outside. You know what? Dog there's... poop, raccoon poop, opossum <laughs> poop. Come on. Yeah, there's no way to avoid it. Never mind. We are bathed in shit particles, that guy said. <laughs> Come on. All right. Well, with that. End of the show. Draw. <laughs> with that, we are going to leave you. Listen, if there's anything you'd like to comment on from this episode or anything we've said over the course of the last 122 this being 122, you can call 657-464-7609. Once again, 657-464-7609. You can also email idoubtedatdollamore.com. Go like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. 
If you'd like to support the show through other means than listening twice a week, go to dollamore.com on the left-hand side of the page. There's an Amazon link where if you're going to spend your money anyway on amazon.com, why not visit dollamore.com first and get to Amazon through our page and the search bar. Every little bit goes a long way towards supporting the show, and we appreciate it very much. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore. Happy Mother's Day. This is I Doubt It. You know, people from Phoenix are Phoenicians or something like that.